I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week, what's a special episode for us? Number 50. 50, yes, 50th episode of Purple Patch Podcast. That is, to my estimation, quite a lot of talking, guys. We launched in January of 2018. As we reached the end of the year, we thought it was a good time to take a step back and have a little review. Today, we're doing a best of. My pick, yep, that's me, Matt, my pick of some of the episodes of the last months that really anchor in and channel around global life performance. Now, there's still sniffs of triathlon that eke in there in some of the episodes, but the main focus is anchored in life performance, of course, still reaching that potential via your athletic mindset. Now, before we dive into the most juicy bits of the most juicy episodes of the last few months, we have got a few things to knock out. The first, a thank you, truly, to you guys, the listeners. Thank you for listening sharing, reviewing, providing so much positive feedback, and of course, your questions, a couple of which we're going to get into in just a little bit. Now, we have a lot more planned. Yes, a lot more. But I cannot move forward without thanking you for your support and your ear. I'm glad we're striking a chord with so many of you guys and commit to maintaining the focus of education rather than quackery or life hacking as we move on from this point. Now, with that... I want to take this opportunity to do, well, a little promotion. You see, born out of last week's holiday guide, several of you guys asked about my second book, The Fast Track Triathlete. So we thought we would spread a little holiday cheer with it. So yes, to answer a question, I wrote it specifically designed for the time-starved athlete who wants to optimize performance within that big life. And yes, it does include a training program for Ironman and Ironman 70.3. But the quest of those programs are with a mission to have you arrive with race performance, but still thriving in health, work and life. So those programs are with an optimization mindset rather than a blanket of hard work. So if you ever wondered whether it was really possible to train for those very demanding events all within a context of a big life maybe that's a book for you and yes finally for you guys that asked it is suitable for performance driven people who are not triathletes so look the backbone of this book serves all sports but within this book I focused on my DNA the triathlon Now, we do have plans for a more global performance-driven book, all anchored around the time starved. But, well, to be honest, I've got to get scribbling on that before we can actually really launch it. So what's the promo? Well, this is very, very special. This is cutting-edge science that we're dealing with here, all in a very small packet. You see, you guys might have read or heard about the new and emerging theory of someone selling a lot of stuff around the concepts of cranial compression. Cranial compression, you ask? Yes, if you get purchased the book via the Purple Patch website, you will receive your very own Purple Patch branded cranial compression head garment. It sits snugly on the head, causing a slight sweat, and mild discomfort with 360-degree compression technology. The theory, 
by some bloke is that by wearing this head compression tool, it can help with long-term memory, focus, and something that he labelled toxic flushing from the head. Clear thinking ahead with the purchase of the book, your very own Purple Patch branded cranial compression tool. Intrigued? I hope not. Bemused? I hope so. Don't worry, you don't have to fall for my faux quackery, although I guess at least one of you did. It's a swim cap, and yes, compression is promised, but the only performance benefit will be keeping the hair out of your eyes and delaying that hair-wilting type environment that you get with chlorine-soaked hair. Yep, you might actually avoid your hair turning green. So yes, the promo, purchase the Fast Track Triathlete from our website, receive a free purple patch swim cap. Now, also, it's time for one-to-one coaching. You see, we're on the process right now of taking on individually coached athletes for the 2019 season. We really try and avoid too much promo and salesy talk, but we do have, I should tell you, a strict cap on the number of spots for this season. So if you'd like to dive in, if you'd like to go to the next level in the sport, we're happy to have a consultation with you and help define your path and your needs. Simply head to the landing page for this podcast and you'll see a link there to click through and set up a consultation with one of our team. And finally, a little invitation for you. Come hang out with me in 2019. You see, our Kona camp is already sold out, I'm afraid, but we are launching a special three-day camp in San Francisco and we're going to bring the entire Purple Patch coaching team. It's our mini camp, it's in April, and it's going to be a wonderful weekend of education, skills, and training. So if you're interested and you want it to be added to the list of the first to know when we open, email info at purplepatchfitness.com and just title it, well, anything you like really, but maybe camp interest. That sounds smart, doesn't it? This camp always sells out very, very quickly. And so get added to the list. We'll let you know. And then once we post it to the website, Maybe you'll just sneak in there. I hope you get to hang out with me in that April my time frame. Now, guys, enough with the shameless promos. Let's get on with the education. And I'm going to flip it up this week. Usually we leave questions to the end of the show, but we're actually going to have a segue into the meat and potatoes this week by starting with two questions from you guys, the listeners. The first is from Mark H. I don't know his last name, but Mark H. from Chicago. And he asks a question around supplements. I like your style here in the questioning, by the way, Mark. Do any of the various potions, shakes, oils and supplements truly make a measurable difference to an athlete or obviously a performance-driven enthusiast? Well, Mark, the truthful answer to that is it depends. But globally, as a blanket statement, I'm going to say quite controversially, no. At least insofar as the promise of magic is not based in supplements and potions. It's based rather in very much more basic things that are cheaper and habit-driven. Yes, habits. See, we have a saying, nail the basics. And of course, that's anchored around smart and appropriate training for you, a great backbone of daily nutrition, post-workout fueling, mostly, by the way, eating real food in that fueling if possible, plenty of sleep and downtime. And those components make up the baseline. They are the key components to help your body restore and thrive. 
And so if you think you're going to get to the same performance-driven place by simply having a whole set or suite of bad habits, but a wonderful medicine cabinet of lotions and potions and pills and thrills, you're just going to get a bellyache. Now, beyond this, there are a few very common things that we do look at with our athletes, particularly those that are in very heavy training. And so I can't just say, no, they're all bunk and they're all nonsense. Here are the most common ones that we look at. Vitamin D, or for my English friends, vitamin D. Much more sensible, isn't it? You see, a lack of vitamin D really creates lethargy, and it's actually one that we quite often look at to have a little bit of a supplement. We also look at iron levels and zinc. Of course, at a deeper down level, you might look at blood profiles to see if there's any deeper issues. But is there a case for other supplements? Sometimes, sure. But I much prefer those to be prescribed under sports medicine. Yes, medical Not coach, not personal training, but truly medical guidance. You see, generally, my athletes don't have a pill cupboard. We look for veggies over powders. We look for fruits over gels. And we severely limit things like sports drink and gels outside of even the most demanding training. Now, we're going to do an episode on supplements globally, but the headline news is that 80% of these things are unneeded or are simply used to mask some really bad habits. So I'm sorry to be boring, guys, but it's the truth. I hope that helps, Mark. The second question, and Paul, I hope I get your right name right here. I'm going to give it my best English attempt. Paul Griglovich. I'd love to know whether I got that right. Paul Griglovich from Ontario. So here's the question, Paul. He says, How do I ultimately pull the trigger on a coach? Is it a gut feel? Is it best fit? All of the individuals that I've spoken with with are, quote, qualified. And frankly, I see myself working with any of them. But this is a significant investment on the athlete's part with my budget around $3,000 annually in coaching. And I don't want to waste money or better yet, my training time go to waste. Well, the first thing I'll say, Mark, is I think it's a wonderful mindset to ask the question because similar to buying a car, you just don't want to go out and buy the first flashy thing. You want to actually have a really detailed discussion to really investigate whether the coach or the coaching company is the right fit for you. So how do you get there? Well, I can give you my two cents. The first is that coaching is a relationship. So make sure that you don't mind spending some time with that person. Obviously, the relationship is going to evolve over the course of time, but there has to be an intuition that you're going to have a sensible dialogue that's an open communication. And you can typically get that off of the first conversation with any human being. The second component to this is whether the coach is the right fit for your needs. And so so many people choose a coach based on their successes or qualifications around other types of athletes. So I'd really look at, has the coach got extensive experience with working with my type of characteristics and needs? There's no point working with a coach who's really, really focused on developing female professional athletes if you're a 55-year-old executive that's just looking to participate in their first triathlon the second is do they as a coach go beyond the simple sporting component 
You see, my assumption is that you're looking to perform in both sport and life. And so does the coach do a good job of embracing the mindset that encompasses your specific training to your goals, but also those other critical supplements that we talk about, nutrition, recovery, strength and conditioning. And I would really look for a coach that actually has a global holistic mindset on performance and isn't just about tracking performance-driven intervals on your swim, your bike and your run. And finally, does the coach have the ability and mindset to customise to your life and allow a little bit of flex in the programme? You see, so many people have a rigid approach. Here's the programme, ram life into my programme. And I think that's a failing proposition for people that have a time-starved life. So I'd really encourage you to look for someone that understands life, understands the demands, and really goes about trying to optimise the training programme within the context of your life. So to dive a little deeper into this, how can your choice showcase to you how they work? So here's an example. So many coaches have a method, an approach. And then they ask athletes to fit into their method or approach. And life is simply an afterthought. Instead, I'd urge you to look for a person who embraces the fact that you have that life and aims to build their method into the life. It's a very different mindset that I think you can unpick with the right questions. Now, I'm more than happy to set up a time for you to chat to one of our team if you want some more help on this. And I should note, without any pressure at all, of choosing Purple Patch. Oh, and one more thing. And I think this is important for you, but it's also important for everyone. This is your journey and you own it. So don't look for a dictator or someone that just does it my way or the highway. I know that's not the right fit for you as well. You happen to listen to the show. And I think you can understand I don't really do dictatorship. I do collaboration. All right, guys. So a lot of me talking. And here we go, the meat and potatoes, the best of. There's a few episodes that we're going to go through and I'm going to introduce each one with a little bit of my reflection or some lessons that we come from going away. Our first clip is taken from episode 31 and that's titled Fighting Fatigue, Knowing When to Push Through or When to Back Off. You see, fatigue in a performance sense is not a negative word in fact it's a part of growth and i believe that you have to lean into it it's earned from hard work and the adaptations can be positive but of course you must make smart decisions in managing that fatigue in this segment i provide context around that word fatigue anticipated versus unanticipated and i also discuss some of the objective and subjective markers of fatigue This was a really important episode for me as ultimately I get labelled the recovery coach and feel it's important to balance embracing the concept of recovery with the undeniable fact that fatigue is a part of your performance gains. But what we're chasing is gains that come from jolly hard work and we have to embrace that. I think you'll enjoy. What do I mean by context of fatigue? Well, there is a big, big difference between expected or anticipated fatigue, that that might come with a really hard training block, perhaps a training camp, perhaps three or four weeks out of a key event, and you're starting to get tired because of the programmed work. That is anticipated fatigue. On the flip side, there is 
unanticipated fatigue or unexpected fatigue. So deep fatigue that's occurring in normal training. If you're not responding to several light days in a row and you feel even more lethargic or poor performance that spans over several normal training weeks. Of course, as we move forward, this will be a part of the context and discussion when deciding whether to back off or whether to push through. Is it anticipated fatigue or is it unanticipated fatigue? The second thing to bear in mind is that successful execution of any training program cannot be just about checking the box of training. See, there are two parts of coaching and training. There is prescription, actually writing a training program, and then there is the smart execution of the program. And a spreadsheet, a prescription within a spreadsheet, is not the defining golden map. Success comes with decisions along the way. And to create those decisions, we must, we carry the burden, as coaches or athletes, we carry the burden to create a framework of making decisions. And those framework of making decisions are typically around fatigue accumulation. And we must have great context and we must be able to raise up out of the weeds and out of the daily grind. You see, it's all anchored around creating a coach or athlete mindset and perspective. And I believe that there are three levels that we want to transition between. The highest level is the big global season approach. What's our North Star or what I would call our 10,000 foot lens? So this fits into the North Star. It's the viewpoint as a coach or athlete that you probably only visit one, two or three times in the year. But it gives the broad landscape of where we're going as a team. At this 10,000 foot view, out of it is defined the blocks of work, what we're aiming to accomplish over many, many weeks or a phase of training. And then finally, it goes down to the week of work, of which comes the actual daily workout within the week of work. So we drop down from what I would call the 10,000 foot view, which is the season approach, to the body of work, what we're looking to accomplish over phase or a block of weeks, and that's the 3,000 foot view. And then finally, the week that you're in, the 1,000 foot view. This is an essential mindset for you as a coach or an athlete to stay on track and make your decisions. Because if you only live in the weeds, if you only exist on the day or the workout on the week, it's impossible to make a smart and objective decision. How can you understand anticipated fatigue or unanticipated fatigue if you only consider what is happening that day? It's impossible, you lose that magic word, perspective. Another key point is what I would call logic, not emotion. You see, as we go through and you decide whether to push through or whether to back off, it's often really, really challenging for an athlete to make these decisions. And yet I believe as a coach, we have to empower athletes and trust to enable the athlete to lead as much as possible. You see, as emotional as athletes are, with their high drive, big lofty goals, super motivation, that can often be, yes, a strength, but also a weakness because of a lack of perspective when making decisions. But 
we must almost encourage, and if you're a coach, help the athlete raise to a high level and facilitate that perspective. So we must ever, coach or athlete, must never forget the 1,000, 3,000, and 10,000 foot lens. Step back, consider, and allow yourself the context of fatigue. And only then can you create perspective and begin to make a more logical, not emotional decision of whether to push through or back off. So let's understand a little bit some of the markers that we have for fatigue. How do we know when you're tired? Well, I'm sleepy, tired, grumpy and sore. What do you mean, how do I know when I'm tired? Well, there are some actual real objective and subjective markers of fatigue that I think is important to understand to help frame your or guide your decision making as we go through. So here are a few things that we can have with objective markers of fatigue. So the first is something that's utilized by a lot of coaches, heart rate variability. We're not going to talk about that today, but understand that it is a good tool, a useful tool to monitor and track to help at least start a conversation. In the same vein, we have tracking your workouts. If you upload power, if you upload pace to a third party application, you can often get things like TSS, training stress score. And that's good because it tracks your overall training stress. What it doesn't do a great job of is correlating it to the stress that you're under in life. And as a busy time-starved athlete, you have to be very careful making decisions purely off of the data that you've been provided. Because none of the data gives you a wonderful sense of the interaction between life stress and training stress. So what are some of the things that you can actually also help that are there as sort of pretty objective markers as you go through the accumulation of fatigue? Well, if you wake up in the morning and you have a very suppressed heart rate, your resting heart rate is very low. That's not necessarily a big jump in fitness. It could be a little bit of an accumulation of fatigue. If it's a little higher than normal, that's ironically also fatigue, but a little bit more acute in nature. If you go to bed at night and you're waking up with night sweats, that is system overload. As a part of your circadian rhythm, your core temperature should drop at night, you should cool. And if it's in overdrive and very hot, that is hormonal stress, you are a little bit fatigued. You should also be aware if you're highly fatigued during the day, you're at work and you're feeling sleepy, and then when you try to go to bed at night, you wake up and you're alert. That's another objective marker. A few others, chronic continued unperformance in training over several days or several weeks, unusually sore muscles. Here's a good one if you tend to run or ride your bike and you have pace and heart rate and power. If you have that, if you have a suppressed heart rate with a normal or lower output and a high perceived effort, in other words, if you're doing an interval and it's hard, but you can't get your heart rate up, that's a pretty clear marker that you're accumulating a bit too much fatigue. In parallel with that, if you have an inability to access some higher intensity, so you feel a little bit like a diesel engine where you can chug along for a long time, but you have a very low range in performance capability. It's not good. Even if you're training for an Ironman, if you are a sloth-like diesel engine without range of intensity, there's a pretty good chance that you're tired. And the final 
objective marker is if over several weeks you start to, despite normal training habits and normal eating habits, you start to have big fluctuations in body composition or weight. You're either losing a lot of body fat or actually gaining a lot of body fat. If that's happening dramatically, that's often your body in a little bit of a fighting or fatigue state. So what are some of the subjective markers that can go along with that? And often they go hand in hand. Well, it's all of the stuff that you might have. Drop in motivation, moodiness, a lack of focus or concentration, an inability to make smart decisions throughout the day, including throughout the work day. And typically a high perception of effort across all sessions. If you're having this overall lack of enjoyment, dropping desire, dropping motivation, it's typically fatigue that is creating that. Sometimes it's bigger stuff, sometimes it's different stuff, maybe it's teammates, but overall that's a reason or a cause for you to step back and think through. Right, so that was taken from fatigue and set next up episode 36, something quite different. It's something we labeled a championship mindset. I recorded this just before the Triathlon World Championships, but you don't need to be a triathlete or quite frankly, even an athlete to gain some insight into the mindset to allow great performance. Now, this isn't about toughness. I don't ask you to channel Rocky Balboa. Instead, it's about creating the mindset to allow freedom to your body to maximize preparation and let everything shine on race day. I think you'll enjoy. When we talk about developing a championship mindset, no matter your lead up or preparation, whether it was seamless and wonderful or riddled with travel and ups and downs and less than optimal physical preparation, it's done. It's behind you. You are going to arrive with the physical resources that you have. And this is the conversation in the last week or so all the way through race day, where your goal is to set up the approach to free up your best performance you can on the day. This is very basic, but it's important. You see, you might be going into your race with doubts or you might be going into your race with high hopes and expectations following wonderful life best training. And no matter where you fall as so far as that mental mindset along that continuum of great confidence and expectation all the way down to maybe fear and doubt, the mental mindset should be as close to the same as possible because your mission is to maximize your best performance that you can on that day, period. This is about allowing yourself freedom to execute. It's no more complicated than that. What this means is very similar to the conversation I had with one of my professional athletes last week about a key race. And this whole show could be packaged into just this saying, The best success you can have in any race is knowing that you remained open to performance and that when you crossed the line, you took all the steps in your control and ability to maximize your performance. Let's say that last piece again. You took all the steps in your control and your ability on that day to maximize your performance. Now notice what I didn't say there. I didn't say 
your best performance will come if you come XYZ place. I didn't say if you can go XYZ time or anything like that. You see, success is about doing all the things that you're able to do to enable your best. And that gives real substance to the simple, important lens of go and do your best. But I digress. We're going to get there on the show. What we first have to do is take a step back. Let's set you up for your success before we get into the mindset. So I want to come up a level now and I want to frame your championship, your key race, and I want to frame it globally. You see, the most important thing I can discuss when it comes to a championship race is this. Just because it carries that magical label for you, and it is a great occasion for sport and for obviously for yourself. Your best mindset and practical approach is to retain as much, and here's the magic word, familiarity as possible. If you have well-tried practices and habits around racing that have worked for you in other events, maintain those habits. Don't be in a massive rush to add, change, or evolve anything. I'm going to give you some specific examples of this, but first I want to tell you a story. A couple of years ago, 2016, the Ironman 70.3 World Triathlon Championships were in Mooloolaba, Australia. Now, it's a wonderful championship for us. We had Tim Reed, who took the win, the very first professional Ironman 70.3 world champion that we'd ever had at Purple Patch. And Sam Appleton had a breakthrough race, managing to get fifth place overall, first and fifth in the world championships. What a wonderful race. But it's not about that. Pre-race, in the planning, I had a discussion with Sam, and I chatted on the phone. Now, when I recreate this, I want you to imagine that behind our conversation, you can hear sounds of lasers and explosions and various beeps. And all that is, as you think about this conversation, is Sam's obsession with playing video games. It's always bubbling in the background on the phone. But here was the conversation. Sam asked me, wait, when shall I get to the race? Pause. I think I should stop the terrible Australian accent. Sam said to me, when shall I get to the race? Well, when have you got to races this year? Sam replies, three to four days prior. Okay, arrive three to four days prior. But it's a world championships. Yep, it's a race with a label. And there are lots of fast people racing. How have you raced this year? Sam replies, very well, I've had a great year so far. And when did you get there? Three to four days prior. Yep. Good. I'm glad that's settled. You see, you get it. A simple conversation that actually proved to be the catalyst to evolve Sam's mindset going into that race. Keep things the same. Ultimately, it's a race. It might be your biggest race. It might be the world championship. But it isn't something magical or mythical or different. It's a race. It's a competition. So you might not be a pro trying to vie for a world title, but your goals and ambitions are personal and important. So let's break this down, what this framework means. It's not just about when you arrive at the race. It's not just about saying it's just another race, because we do want to take some actions to set you up for success, to develop the championship mindset. But framing the event globally, what does familiarity mean? 
So here are a couple of components. Number one, nutrition. I want you to maintain regular eating habits, the same prehydration and the same fueling approaches that you would do for key sessions in training. If you're used to having your really hard workouts of each week coming on a Saturday morning, maintain relatively regular eating habits, hydration and fueling as you go in. Don't think that you have to evolve your eating habits or how much you drink or suddenly add any supplements just because it carries the championship label. Familiarity is king. Always embrace it and remove this whole subject from your mind space. It's just one less thing to think about. I really encourage you to not introduce new things, to not suddenly adjust, but instead Buckle down on familiarity. And the only caveat that you need to think about is environmental. If you went to altitude, if you went to heat, then sure, you might need to hydrate a little bit more. But all of that incremental buzz, all of those magic potions, all of those special supplements, our concepts such as carbo-loading, all that is is clouding your headspace, it's confusing you, and quite frankly, it's confusing your body. So retain familiarity around nutrition. The same can be applied around the framing of familiarity with the rhythm of your training. As much as possible, we want to retain the rhythm of training that you tend to do going into other races and even into really hard sessions. Now this should hopefully be familiar by now, so don't evolve it. Even the week of racing itself should have a familiar pattern compared to a normal training week. With the simple addition and thing to manage around travel and the fact that your load won't be near as much. So as a side note, at Purple Patch, this is how we actually build some of the training sessions and training blocks. We have weeks that we designate building weeks, and those are going to be where very strong work occur. And that strong work is going to be specific to the phase of work that needs to be done. But then we identify weeks that we call transition weeks. And these allow a little bit of freshening, some adaptations from those strong building block weeks, but the rhythm of the week and the timing is distinctly similar to that of a race week. And so what we do is we can learn and adapt in the lead up to the race. And so those transition weeks that we have populated throughout the year are always going to include the hardest work of the week on the weekend. The same as I assume your championship is going to be. The third element of framing is equipment. If in doubt, go with tried and trusted. Nothing new, nothing changed. Equipment changes occur early in the year. But the only areas to look at when you think about equipment changes is maybe if you're doing a triathlon or a cycling race, you may look for new tires that are going to be void of rips and nicks. But everything else should remain familiar. Don't change your helmet. Don't change your wheels. Don't change your position. Keep things what you know work. Because in general, this race is a championship, but it is, as I said, just a race. So your plan, your training plan, should be about priming your body for its best performance of the year. But your mind should treat this almost like any other race. In fact, the longer that we go in distance of these races, the more it becomes a reality that your best race performance 
arrives out of great execution of a really, really hard training session. A really hard training session. That's why I often say primed Ironman athletes go and race it by training all day. Because training is familiar and ultimately racing should be as close to familiarity as possible to create the ultimate magic of a great race. I might have lost you in the weeds there, but go and train all day is not diminishing your potential. It's a pursuit of maximizing your potential. All right, stay with me, guys. So we've checked off a little bit of fatigue. We've embraced positivity with a championship mindset. And now we creep into episode 44. Take a break, but don't be a postseason sloth. Yep, I talk about the dangers and pitfalls of an all-in or all-out attitude when it comes to training. And I stress some of the benefits of a short break, but also not allowing that break to last too long. The backbone of this episode is a key mindset for the performance driven. We train, we don't exercise. You see, exercise is random, but training is specific and progressive and allows optimal results over a long, long, long time. With this said, we don't want to make your training a second job. To maximize results and allow long-term and ongoing evolution, we must take a break. We must heal. We must rejuvenate. But how do you achieve this without lethargy and poor habits creeping in? Find out and, I would say, prevent yourself from becoming a sloth. Enjoy. So here's the headline news. Here's the words that you'll remember. You don't need to become a sloth. Just because you drop the structure and the focus, you don't need to turn into a lazy sloth. In fact, a proper season break really entails this approach. Number one, two to three weeks of duration. A season break lasts that long, two to three weeks. And then we can experience a return to structured training. More on that later. In that two to three weeks, your mindset turns from being an athlete to a healthy human being. So you can shift away from being performance driven and simply be a normal, healthy human being. And that means that it can include some exercise. It means that you eat mostly healthy food. You try to get good sleep, but also have a pretty good leeway to have a little excess and a little fun. You see, we have this saying in Purple Patch, everything in moderation, including excess. So this is the time that, yeah, enjoy some later nights, have less training structure, enjoy some fun. It's a good time to relax and loosen the reins on structure. Of course, align with that, I'd encourage you to lose the metrics because any exercise is just that, exercise. You don't need to track or monitor output with heart rate or power meters, and you shouldn't be pushing to be getting fitter. Globally, I suggest that a good litmus might be that you're exercising, and notice I don't typically use that word, but you're exercising, not training, should be less than 50% of the hours of your normal training load. Next up, Mix it up. Try other things in this phase, whether it's yoga or hiking or mountain biking, even if it's Barry's boot camp. Have fun. Try different things. Do stuff with friends. But don't think that you're driving forward trying to become better in whatever your sport is. 
And with that, if you are mixing it up and you're losing the metrics and you have much less structure and your overall exercise routine is less than 50% of your normal training load, you have to appreciate, accept, and I would even say embrace a dipping form. Don't panic if you add a few pounds. You're going to lose a little fitness. You won't be race ready. It's normal, expected, and ironically, it's required. And in this time, you have the open and up door opportunity to lean into life. Embrace the other parts of your life. Read the newspaper. Enjoy some coffee. Spend more time with your kids. Give back to your partners and friends who accommodate you and enable you to follow your passion for so much of the year. And finally, don't obsess. As much as possible, turn your back on the sport. Since the Hawaii Ironman a couple of weeks ago, I have spoken to my elite athletes that race there no more than once. And I don't want to talk to them again for another week or so. I don't want to invade their life. I don't want to break up their little bit of postseason break with performance talk. That can all come later. And you, you can do the same. Give yourself leeway to have fun and be a normal, healthy human being. And I promise you that if you do this and embrace this, remember two to three weeks, it can become the bedrock of rejuvenation to set the path for a wonderful breakthrough next year. And it's vital. But, and there's always a but, you don't want your break to begin to spread into four, five, six, seven weeks. The magic tends to be at least two weeks, but no more than three. But great, then what? What does it mean? A simple return to heavy load, nose back to the grindstone? Absolutely not. Remember, a part of this rest and recuperation is that you should and will lose fitness and fall. And so upon returning, you have to rebuild. And this is what we call postseason. I would argue that this is probably the most critical phase of the season because it delivers the ability to evolve technically and the platform of readiness to accept the very hard work that is going to be coming up in what we call pre-season or the build phase because that's where you're going to be building physiology and fitness. And ultimately, if you successfully execute post-season, it's going to minimise your risk for future injury and maximise the opportunity for the adaptations of that hard work coming up next. And so, if you're a fitness enthusiast or you're a training athlete, you have to pick a time, quite typically for the North American athletes, somewhere in the fall, at the end of your big race, where you have a break. Two to three weeks, turn it off. And then you hit what we call the preparatory phase of work or postseason. Okay, my family of sloths, let's move on. We've got two more to go through. The next one is taken from episode 46, if you want to enjoy the entire episode. And it's titled Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. Is your coaching fit for the job? Is your coach the right fit for you? The power of a mentor cannot be overstated, and to truly maximise the benefits of a professional coach, you, the athlete, must be a major stakeholder to ensure the relationship is both fruitful and beneficial to your performance. After all, that's why you're doing the whole thing. In this episode, I describe the characteristics 
from my lens, Matt Dixon, of a great coach or mentor. This is a good one, whether we're thinking about business, life, or of course, sport. So I hope you enjoy. Whether an athlete, a rising coach, or simply in the pursuit of thriving and evolving in life and the workplace, finding the right person to advise, lead and guide you, without that person simply playing a role of cheerleading, is a worthy pursuit. But let's investigate the good, the bad, the ugly here. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the traits that I believe make up a great coach or mentor. We also want to talk about how you can source that right person that can be the leader of your needs. And then ultimately, your role in the equation. How can you best be coached or mentored? Because that's a critical piece of the puzzle globally. Well, let's start with the characteristics of a great coach. And it won't surprise you that the characteristics are not far off the same as any elite performance or business leader. Yes, a great coach or mentor needs to be performance driven. They need to be able to establish a North Star. They need to have short term measurable goals. They need to be resilient, passionate, adaptable, consistent, have a great ability to develop big picture thinking or what we might call perspective. And I believe that they need to, of course, have great communication and they need to be habit driven. You want someone stable and consistent. But I also lean into that trait again, the humility to learn, to be coached themselves. You see, I believe that a strength of leadership and coaching requires humility. And what does that mean? Well, ultimately, look, a clear flaw and weakness in a leader is claiming to have the answer of everything. Guess what? No one, no one has got everything worked out. But what else? Well, when considering coaches and mentors, if we dig a little deeper beyond these traits, we find more traits, more characteristics that I think make up the essence of great coaching and great mentorship. The first is openness and sharing. If someone thinks they have the secret magic and they hide it in their magic book, they become very uninteresting to me. The second is collaborative and cooperative. Yes, look, dictators are ultimately limited and certainly limited in the range of those who they can help. Those that are open and collaborative and cooperative are strong. Great coaches also tend to have an athlete or person first mindset. So they don't think about how am I going to project what I want, but instead they start with the question, what does the athlete or person need? Not want, what does the athlete need? And they're willing to follow through to those needs to ensure that they're success. And behind this, most great coaches have a relentless pursuit of learning. One thing I would add, the great are professional, they're not hobbyists. Because as with anything in the world, it can't just be something you do. It must be something you love if you're going to be great. Right on. And now let's wrap it up, guys. And finally, well, we haven't talked about assassinations today, so let's do that. Episode 48, Assassination of Effectiveness. For most of us, 
The buy-in for presence and focus is there. We want to focus on the task at hand, but our minds are so often polluted by noise. Diluting focus and attempting to multitask will simply not increase your productivity in both work or sport. The mindset when I recorded this was simple and actionable. So I wanted to create some clear and present thinking to enable you to free the mind, increase capacity and allow you to succeed. And so today, let's go deeper. Rather than me just saying, hey, you want to be present in workouts, let's discuss strategies to set you up for success. How do we empower focus? How do we actually open up a gateway where we can walk in and actually provide our activities the focus and the presence that we need to yield the effectiveness that we're looking for? You see, despite best intentions, it's so easy for even the most committed to become overwhelmed and distracted. But the good news is there are simple, and they are simple, strategies that will help. Guess what? We're going to talk about two things as we go through this. The first, work. And then, sport. Let's dig into both. Let's begin. And as an endurance coach, I'm going to begin with life, not sport. I know that might sound ironic, but let's start with life. How can you be more effective in the workplace or in life with simple strategies to open up the pathway to presence? Specific tools, tools that you can focus that can facilitate improvement in presence and performance. While these are seemingly simple, they promise to have a highly positive impact in your ability to maximize effectiveness. So let's look at some global strategies to help. The first, your Sunday special. Plan your week. This is massively important. Your goal is to hit the ground running on Monday morning in an execution mindset and understanding the landscape of your week, what you need and want to get accomplished and begin to be prepared for major meetings or projects. Now, this exercise forces you to come up a level and it sets up a success mindset in advance. And it's stunningly simple. It allows prioritization and focus on the key elements that must move you forward. So how do you do it? Well, it's non-negotiable. But all you do is set aside a little time, making sure you've got your family and friends on board, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it takes, to sit down, pen and paper, and look at the week. What am I looking to accomplish? What are the key roadblocks that I have in getting in my way? Where do I need to supply my focus that's going to provide the biggest yield for me? This isn't a time that you're doing work, but instead, why we call it the Sunday special, is we're planning to do the work most effectively. And what this enables you to do, whether you're thinking about your life schedule, family commitments, meetings or work for the upcoming week, it simply enables you to prioritize. And so the very first thing to open the gateway to being present is to actually know what you're walking into when you start the week on Monday. So the second strategy is what we're going to call execution list. Now, I'm not a big fan of just checking off boxes, but I think it is really valuable to have a list of components that you want to reasonably be able to execute on a daily basis. So once you've done your Sunday special, what we should be able to create is a daily list of tasks to execute. And these have to be realistic. 
But with this in mind, the very first action that you should check off is the stuff that you least want to do first. What are the things that are most challenging? What are the things that you like the least? Get it done. Don't let it become a monkey. Instead, execute the stuff that's going to weigh on you. And then the rest of the day, the rest of the week will be liberated and you get the opportunity, the privilege of doing the stuff that you prefer to do and you thrive at. Now, I promise you that clearing this tougher stuff first will also be like giving yourself a nice gold star. Accomplish, and it's the biggest step towards the mountain being scaled. It will drive you forward and it won't fatigue you. You know it. So why don't you follow through? Hmm, perhaps you should. The third element, set up presence. So remember that you can only control what you can control. And so with the planning down and nailing down the sticky stuff first, getting rid of the stuff that is the bolder, the stuff that you don't like, will enable you to focus in the projects. But in order to actually maximize your focus, you have to set yourself up with environment and setting. If you're in a meeting, mute the phone, put it aside, turn off your email, commit to being an active participant. Because just like in sport, you can only control what's in front of you. And guess what? Others know who is or isn't present in the meetings. And so there is no value in you being 50% in on anything, including your meetings and your projects. To give you a concrete example, as I plan this episode, you couldn't have reached me. Email, phone, text, all off. Because I realise I need presence to collate my thoughts and organised so that I can make this, well, at least halfway decent. And so with you as you go through, it isn't just about planning your week. It isn't just about knocking off the tough stuff first. But just like in sport, anything that you want to execute, you have to be all in on. And being all in means setting yourself up with the environment and also the situation so that you can be successful. Align with that is number four. Don't do multitask. Guess what? You cannot multitask. No one can. All you're able to do is share and split focus, and all that leads to is a dilution of presence in your projects. So the goal is to minimize distractions and maximize effectiveness. Focus on what you can focus on, and then move on to the stuff that you can't. Any time that you dilute focus, it will not increase or improve your productivity. And you have to buy into that. And so aligned with setting yourself up with turning off email, give yourself an absolute commitment to avoid the nastiness of multitasking. Earlier on, we talked about lists, lists to execute and getting off and nailing down the things that you don't like or find the most challenging first in the day. But align with that a word of warning. Number five, don't whack a mole. You see, this is a key element that is often missed or neglected. If the success is simply only checking off tasks and then you're going to miss out on effectiveness similar to just hitting a training program and doing what you're told without thought gaining perspective is always valuable always 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 aim to come up a level ask the why how is what you are doing going to impact the bigger picture whether it's the team the company yourself impact on others aiming to tie 
everything you do to the mission or a mission will always be a gateway to presence and focus. If you understand the why, then you'll buy in. And when you buy in, it sure amplifies focus. This becomes such an important thing because if you set up employees just to check off tasks, they're never going to be as effective. They're never going to lead to the next steps. And while they might nail the checklist, they don't actually move things forward. And so in the big picture, if you get the landscape, if you come up a level, you understand the why, the quality of your work and the productivity is only going to amplify. And finally, number six, review and adapt. In the same vein as the Sunday special, on a daily basis as you go through each week, and yes, we tend to work on seven-day cycles as human beings, at the end of each day, it's worth spending 5, 10, 15 minutes just looking back, assessing the effectiveness, as well, of course, planning and setting up the mindset and execution for the following day. These things, these six magic things, are the only way for you to create capacity. You see, presence is effectiveness, and effectiveness leads to capacity. I'll say that again. This will create capacity. Across most of our listeners, many would agree that their most valuable commodity that they have is time. Allow me to find more time. And I would guess that you want to do a great job in whatever you do, but often finding yourself drowning in commitments and distractions. The only way to create capacity and to execute high quality work is to become an assassin of effectiveness. Bad habits make bad output. But integrating these habits will not only ensure that your output is higher quality, you're going to gain time, capacity. Now that time can be used to either reflect and come up a level and gain some perspective or go out and do some good stuff, other stuff, fun stuff. Now a note here, don't expect or even seek perfection. You see, with all of these things in mind, we outline these strategies for success, but I wouldn't expect yourself to become a machine because we're not you will still have those days where you don't go well, where focus is rubbish, or you under-execute on the project. Adapt, learn, move on, and realise that this is life, not a cause for punishment or a reason to view yourself as failing at your job. This is a normal part of it. And, just to tease later on, it's the same thing for an athlete, of course. Every session is not going to be wonderful. Learn, adapt, move on. And so yes, what happens in the training field also applies in what happens on the workplace. All right, boom, that's it guys. We are still not done for the year. We'll be back next week with a full-length episode, but I hope you enjoyed the show. And once again, thank you. 50 episodes. I'm a little humbled to be honest. I can't believe we've been cracking on like this, and I'm really proud of you guys joining being a part of the show i really appreciate it so breathe easy onward and well should we chat next week take care thanks so much for listening this has been the purple patch podcast 
If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!